in the band podcast is back with another episode uh i am your host michael goldman i interviewed my good friend spencer peterson he's the lead singer front man of the band sago i uh i actually played in sago for like a year about four or five years ago now right when it was starting out but honestly i quit the band because i liked the music too much it was it, it just there's situations you find yourself in where you either need to you need to be getting fulfillment in some way in a band and it's either going to be financially or it's going to be creatively and being my friend's band i i couldn't really be fulfilled financially um because it was a new band but on the other end i had so much respect for his writing uh that i didn't want to be involved in a creative way because I felt like it would muddy the waters that he was creating. And it was a weird decision to have to be like, yeah, I'm too big of a fan to be a creative force in your band, but I need to be a creative force in whatever I'm a part of. So anyway, I I ended up quitting the band and sometimes I regret it just because I wish I was still playing with them because it's their live show is so fun. But uh, the girl who replaced me is amazing. The live show is just, really good so i get to be a fan and just watch it anyway i interviewed spencer in a restaurant in chinatown that he recommended while i was on my way over there he suggested we go to this place and i figured i guess we'll try it i was pretty scared that the sound was going to be pretty awful because there's a lot of noise in the background of people eating and us chewing from time to time but i think we limited that uh to a respectable amount where it won't gross you out, and it's it's not like ASMR. And if you're unfamiliar with what ASMR is, just Google it and you'll see. But uh, it was great talking to him. We could talk for hours. I almost wish I had a podcast that was just Spencer and I talking, and we just tackled new subjects. But I feel we did a good job of honing it in on mainly Sago for this interview. And if you haven't heard of the band, like I was just endorsing them 10 to 15 seconds ago, they're one of my favorite live bands that's out. And I think they're only going to pick up more steam as their career continues. So I hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. All right. So I'm sitting down with Spencer Peterson, and what is the name of this restaurant? I have no idea. A nameless restaurant in Chinatown near Philippe's uh, that apparently you frequent. Yeah, I haven't ever been here during... uh, When the sun's out? Yeah, daylight hours. Uh, Well, it's like what? It's like 7.20 right now. Um, And... You suggested that we do the interview here, and uh, <laughs> so we're going to try this out. We're never try this out. been at a public restaurant, and uh, no, I've never been to a private restaurant. I've never heard of one of those. <laughs> 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 I've never been to a restaurant and done this. <laughs> All right, cool, man. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I was, uh, this is kind of, uh, I feel like since our last attempt at this uh, interview, this mm-hmm. is going to really relax me. Yeah, the, well, uh, consumption of this uh, chicken fried rice and Chinese donuts. <laughs> well, I I interviewed yeah I interviewed Spencer before I launched the podcast, and I realized that I should just redo it since it's been like a year now. 
It has been a year, and let's be honest, we mostly didn't cover any ground during that interview, <laughs> even though we did speak for probably probably an hour and a half. Something like that. But we are we know, are. But now I'm a seasoned uh, interviewer, which means I just I'm gonna try not to eat into the microphone. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to alarm you, but we are getting uh, the attention of some of the uh, <laughs> local patrons. <laughs> I, I, as I imagined, we would. A couple of guys holding microphones up to their mouths while eating. While food. eating. <laughs> it's. It looks like we're doing an ASMR thing without chopsticks. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Spencer. Mike, tell me about you and Sego today. Tell me about Sego today. Yeah. Here. You deliver me a question, and then you chew. Yeah. And then I'll deliver a a, a response. A, a lengthy response. Okay, cool. Uh, Sego today. Well, uh, my name's Spencer, and I'm in a band called Sego, and. Uh, if you didn't know, actually, Mike was the original bass player in Sego mm. years ago. And, uh, um, yeah, right now it's kind of an exciting time, frankly, because uh, we just released a new album called Sego Sucks. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I've heard so many bands talk about releasing albums that it ceased to be interesting to me. You ever get that way? What do you mean? It's uh, everyone's excited about, really excited about releasing this thing. You know, everyone's like so excited about releasing that thing that, as a consumer and almost as like a band, I I just I have like conflicting feelings. It's more of like relief. Like I'm relieved to finally release this because it's been quite a while, kind of working up to it, and it doesn't come with the fanfare maybe that. You would think. I think it only does when you have like a massive fan base awaiting the arrival <laughs> yeah, of exactly. the album. Like, like if you're Guns N' Roses delivering their second album, you know, if they did it like two years after. Yeah, exactly. It's it like, would have been like, everybody stop what you're doing. Exactly. But like, this is I kind guess of, on I'm a hopefully, I'm hopeful in the release of this record, you know, and like, I think it'll do good things. Yeah. It seems to be doing well. Well, there right. were people anticipating this record and I feel like more so, well, there's like, there's your fans, but then there's also like, you're kind of, I would say you guys are like a musician's band in a way where it's like, actually a, a lot of relatively high profile people are really into the band and like important people are into the band. Right. So that crowd was very much anticipating the release but i guess that's true um but in terms of like yeah the fanfare i, I would imagine there's not like a massive uh like a hundred notifications an hour on on twitter yeah. but but this release is also like this is this is the album to get you to that spot on the next album hopefully and so on and so forth yeah yeah i uh I guess because it's, it's your second, it's your second album. Second album, and so I, we set, we put out the first record. I feel like this is the trajectory of Sega, which you witnessed from the inception, which was right out of the gates. We got a decent amount of attention and press, and that was different for me versus any other band that I had 
started. Yeah. And uh, and then there was uh, the natural kind of pumping of the brakes and waiting to see what we did, which was our first record. You know, we did our first record and did all right. But I think I, it was kind of. I feel like the if you get kind of a spike of attention like that, there's kind of. Uh, I feel like you have to kind of claw your way back up to a basic level point. Yeah, it's almost difficult because it's like, well, if you don't blow up right away, then everyone's kind of like, who's next? You know, what yeah. are we looking at next? What's next? So, so it's almost like, I don't know, people have talked to you up in their own heads. So they're like, they need they need you to live up to the hype that they built exactly. unfairly to you. <laughs> and uh, frankly. But I think for the first record, like, a lot of bands try to get to the point where they can put together a full-length album. And then even by doing it, it's like they don't have a situation where they can tour on it. Like, by all means, I think the first record was a success. It, it got you guys on the road. And now you're playing festivals and bigger tours. Like, it's, it, was a, it was a chain, a chain mover, yeah. so to speak. That and that's true. important to have. I mean, because now you guys have a presence, you know, like a, like a legitimate presence in the music scene. Yeah. And that's pretty important. And I think uh, it also, I feel like that weird uh, lull allowed us to actually become a band and learn how to do the thing on a, on a maybe slightly more professional level. Whereas at the beginning, I, and I'm still in learning process, but I just didn't know how to front a band, especially live. I just didn't. I didn't, uh, there's a lot about it that didn't come naturally to me. Was being a guitar player and bass player your whole life until Sago, right? Yeah, this was my first shot at singing. And when you're singing in a band, there's like this added pressure to really rise as like the visual focal point, which I've never been in my life. Yeah. Ever. Well, you also kind of have to like dictate almost how people should feel about it yeah. and how you feel about it on stage. And my last band that I was in, well, the one that got me to L.A. was in this band called, well, I'm speaking to your listeners at this point, but used to be in this band called Elizabethan Report, which then turned into Islip Size. And our front man and bass player and drummer, actually, were all very interesting spectacles in a live element. And... uh Maybe too interesting. Maybe a little too interesting. <laughs> Maybe a little too interesting. <laughs> and so coming off of that, I was always kind of the support act, playing guitar or bass behind that. Yeah, so kind of jumping into my own. I was trying to take cues from that, but I don't I don't know how many cues you can take from Tony, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you've... Well, there's also finding your identity as a front man. It's not just like, you can't just do what he did, you right. know? Well, also because you play guitar and he didn't play guitar, but... And there's a surprising amount of decisions to be made at that point. And I'm sure you've seen this with Nona. Is uh, even down to what what is your voice going to sound like, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, what version of you will you deliver? Exactly. Like, am I going to give a, a smoky kind of... That's the problem with being so good, you know. You can do, you can do it all. I mean, so. when you've got range. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I, I was talking to someone about this in an interview recently. When they asked me to describe my style, which 
I don't really like answering, but it kind of made me reflect on. Do you want to keep your secrets? Well, yeah, I, and I just don't know how to answer it very well, mostly. Um, well, you're someone who actually shies away from anything that's self-aggrandizing, typically. I mean, so when people kind of put you in that spot, I, I, from what I've witnessed, you kind of are like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. In this particular sense, it made me reflect on the decision-making in, in my style, and it was kind of a marriage between my personal interests and selfish kind of taste, where the stuff that I want to listen to at that time, mm-hmm. combined with my kind of physical and mental limitations. It's like, there's what I want to do, and then there's kind of what I'm able to do, and that's kind of where I land. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I can't, I don't have a crazy range vocally, so I'm going to have to settle <laughs> kind of what, whatever I get. Well, kind of the most important thing is finding your limits, right? Like, yeah. Like, you're also relatively new to being a lead vocalist, so I'm sure you've noticed, because you've probably been singing a lot more in this part of your life than you ever have, your voice getting a little stronger in certain areas, and then mm-hmm. on this record, probably like, oh, I can, I can do this now, you know, and... Yeah. And utilizing those tools, like new new tools that you're gaining, but like when we recorded Stars, I remember specifically feeling like the there's one vocal thing at the very end of the song where I kind of have to reach just a little bit, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking at the time in the studio that I was just gonna really have to belt it to do it because I wanted to keep it kind of low and within my range, and now. You know, to kind of playing off what you're saying, like I've I've definitely been put in situations where I have to reach a lot higher, a lot more regularly. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of I've learned my limits are a little bit higher than I initially thought. Mm-hmm. But that being said, it's still it's still uh you're not Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Neither. No say. one else is. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about her for the rest of this interview. I really, I, I know very little. All right, well, then we'll move on. I wish I did. I mean, and we're doing this interview how many weeks? Two weeks since your record came out? Two weeks this Friday? Yeah, this Friday. We, we went up to Utah and had a show as a little celebration to the hometown crowd. And uh, yeah, that was April 5th, whatever mm-hmm. that was. Yeah, you played in Provo, Utah on April 5th, right? Right. And for those who don't know, you, your first band kind of started there. So although Seiko was born in Los Angeles, the actual band, it almost it's like your roots are there. And yeah. like you're kind of, I would imagine almost the bigger fan base is in Provo. Yeah, it might be. Like, per, per capita, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to Los Angeles. I wish it scaled. Yeah. Say. But um, no, yeah. I feel like Provo has always been a kind of the I mean obviously it's my hometown just because that's where I grew up in Mapleton but for the band it is remained kind of a uh, kind of a dual anchor town between mm. the uh, Provo and LA I will say that the shows are probably the craziest up in Provo yeah at least for us well, and you have like such a good connection with Corey who's the promoter at the venue there the Valor so it's like your guys shows there are more than like 
playing the Echo, so we load in and like see what we can kind of get away with. With him, you can scheme the whole setup and promotion of the show in a, like a DIY way that's like a lot more. Uh, it makes the shows feel more special, I think. Yeah, the uh, yeah Corey definitely allows for better or for worse, depending on my mental capacity at that mm-hmm. time. But we we definitely reach quite a bit at the Provo shows, and I wish we could do that on tour but it would require so much or like a crew for or a every budget. show yeah. yeah for for example a couple semis and um we for this last show we built four stages around the room right yeah um and then had i i figured out how to print off these giant heads and built these like uh each member of the band had uh their own giant head hung behind them with a <laughs> mylar face and yeah, we, we did, like, the newspaper curtains around the bottom of the stages, and we put lights and made them glow and, and hung a sign from the ceiling so the Sego sign was shining straight down in the middle of the room to kind of anchor the whole room. Yeah, because everyone basically had to stand in the center of the room, and they could turn in a circle and watch you yeah, each individually there's play. No, there was no front of the room, which is fun. And you guys had done that once before, right? Yeah. But, like, this time you planned it out a hell of a lot more and yeah we kind of went for it this time around mm-hmm. and um definitely who knows like audio wise i'm sure depending on where you are it's such a complete mess but there's got to be a sweet spot in there. there's a sweet spot <laughs> and i feel like people and the sweet spot is the middle mm-hmm. which drives everyone to kind of like into this swirl mosh pit center yeah. of the room and it's kind of the one of the first times in a while, if not ever, that I've played a rock show that felt like that felt like a dance party in a house, where what? Because it just the the element of it being like a club fell away, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it fell away. People and people were interested in the in interacting with the music and each other mm-hmm. rather than staring up at something all the whole time. You know, yeah, because like, it wasn't well. There, when there's no one focal point, it's probably easier to get lost in the mess. Yeah, right? and th- you can definitely do tourist things, and there's a lot to look at for sure. But I feel like it was uh, the interactive element was so much fun to see happen because it it removed all of the in, uh, former I don't know preconceptions of what a show should be. There's no mm-hmm. place to hide. You, I'm the only place to hide really is. The bathroom? Yeah, in the bathroom. (laughs) Otherwise, you're either right in front of one of the stages or you're in the middle of the mosh pit. The back of the room is the mosh pit, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I wish I could have been to that show. It sounds really cool. It was was really, yeah, it was really fun. And, but afterwards, I had some people ask me if we were going to take that on the road. And it's just, there's just... Yeah, you need a a lot more money. Yeah, (laughs) Corey's rare in that because yeah, we had to also rent three other other PA's, right, to set up up around the room. Yeah, because each uh, stage had its own PA, and it was predominantly playing just their instrument and vocals, and so you were getting source sound wherever you went. Right, so you could walk over to like Brandon and get a lot of keys and stuff, and then yeah. Yeah. And his voice is coming from that side of the room only kind of thing. So, Which is basically like kind of, it's like you're mixing the live show when you walk around 
I, I assume. Exactly. That. So yeah. you're like, ooh, I think the bass should be louder, so I'm going to walk over to Derv. Yeah, back it up. <laughs> yeah. 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 As far as performing, it has its issues because I was getting drums through the monitor a little bit, but there's a natural delay across the room. Yeah. And so, which probably actually, now that I think of it, benefits us because I have this tendency towards rushing. So that probably pulled me right back <laughs> into the pocket. But but taking that on the road, but you'd have to be in basically arenas probably to start doing that, right? Cuz yeah. like in a theater, they're not going to let you just do that at a theater even like So you guys need to get really big to do yeah. this. Yeah, and even if you were say say all these clubs like 300 capacity clubs were saying giving us the AOK to do it. It would require us to rent or bring with us stages every city. Yeah. And that would add so much more financial burden or just travel. Yeah. Less time. It would just be impossible. So we're heading out on the road next week. And do you have any tricks that you're bringing with you? Yeah. We have we, we try to have like some production with us no matter what just to kind of elevate it above what a standard show would be but but yeah it's it's never probably going to be that that intense yeah um, but then again maybe that's how it should be though you know you have to you go well, to the hometown some, show for the big releases yeah and it makes stuff it like special that. yeah plus like. As much as that's a really cool thing, if you make that your thing all the time, then that's... You don't want people coming to the show for that. You want them coming for the music, uh, first and foremost. And it's like, I guess, if like if the people aren't going to come just to listen to you play the music, then you don't really want to just be the novelty, right? Right. So, so it needs to like stand on its own legs The uh, without that kind of stuff. The uh, flaming lips, polite... Right. Like, I love Flaming Lips, but I feel like they sell more tickets for the spectacle than they do sell records. Yeah. And um, and they've made it their business, and that's kind of their thing, and it's great. But Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, how many of those guys own, like, the catalog of the Flaming Lips? Or even, I'd be shocked to see if the percentage of people who own the first Flaming Lips album <laughs> from the 90s. Yeah. Which is great, but it's definitely not at that psychedelic level. That's that not doing what they're there now. for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's. A, I mean, I guess if it was leveled to me to have that kind of show and that kind of fan base for that reason, I guess that's a thing. That's just not what mm. I set out to do. I guess that's yeah. the point. You want to make it as fun as possible, but ultimately, you want to also be able to play a show. With zero production and have people still enjoy still it. Still enjoy it. Yeah. Or like love it, you know? Yeah. Leaning it, too much on it is maybe dangerous. Yeah. What's interesting, those bands, like, I could be totally off now at this point, and I know Ryan Adams is taboo to talk about since he's a bad guy, apparently, but. What happened? I, uh, I haven't been. I haven't. Allegations of abuse and okay. stuff. Um, I didn't. I didn't read too much into it. I've never been like a massive Ryan Adams fan, but I like a lot of his stuff that I've heard. Um, but I saw him once, and it was like no production at all. And like Wilco, it's like very little production. It's like lights, you know. But that's all they do. And there are a lot of bands that just like 
rely only on the music. Like, we're going to stand here and rock, and that's it. And, like, uh, my inclination is always more towards that rather than, like, we're going to throw this in. That's going to be cool. But then I... Confetti cannon. Yeah, but then I'm, like, when I see it done right, it's, like, it's impressive, and I admire... I admire when people really make it a cool new thing. Well, good examples. Rubble Bucket. Dude, that rubble, the, what they're doing with the screen right now? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, well, uh, just their production in general is a good marriage between great songs, performance, and engaging crowd, like, yeah. production or whatever. No, it's, and I know, I'm sure a lot of the, you listening don't know Rubble Bucket, but they're, they're like a, what are they, one, two, three, four? Four, five, six-piece band. Yeah, they've they veer between. They, they fluctuate six like six and eight. And eight yeah, I think. <laughs> um, but last time I saw them, it was six-piece. Yeah, and they have those screens on the sides of the stage where you it's backlit, so you they go behind the screens and they kind of act out some of the stuff as they play. And it, it doesn't sound nearly as cool as it is, but just that simple element like goes a long way. It adds a lot of emotion to the performance because they like the drama that they stage behind that is so cool. And uh, I don't know, adds, some of, some of some those stage production m- moments, I roll my eyes every time because I don't want to believe that it works as well as it does. Yeah. But every time they hit that freaking at the end of their show, I don't know if they did it when you saw them in Pomona, but they hit that confetti. It's hard not to get stoked when they <laughs> chuck the freaking <laughs> balloons or whatever. Or when I was a, we we opened for OK Go in San Francisco, and they did. I think they. They threw confetti like a few times, and the same and people thing. love it. People love it, and kind of I love it too. You know, it's it's really intense. They hit like the strobe lights, and there's confetti everywhere, and it's just really intense visually. Mm. I guess nothing compares to when uh, I saw Dan Reynolds fly. That was like maybe the ultimate <laughs> of Imagine Dragons. The, yeah, Moth and the Flame opens for Imagine Dragons back in the day, like they're right as they were starting to blow up. Was in, this in in, in this Utah? When I before I started playing with the Moth right before, okay, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he flew. And yeah, we're playing at this Utah arena, right as they were starting to take off. And Dan, in the middle of it, I'm standing. I was standing with my brother in the middle of the crowd, watching after we'd played. And in the middle of this like big epic guitar solo, Dan just his opens his arms up and looks up, and then he just starts flying. <laughs> and then he flies over the audience, and he's like, t- you know, high five and people, whatever. They hoist him to the ceiling, flies up to the ceiling of this giant basketball arena, pulls a curtain off of a freaking concert drum that's mounted to the ceiling, and starts just beating the hell out of this thing on the ceiling in the middle of this show. Jesus. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, but I was kind of into it. <laughs> I was kind of like. <laughs> Look at my brother's like, well, I mean, freaking dude's flying. Yeah. That's pretty, t- I mean, it's kind of tight. If I could do that, maybe I would. I don't know. Like with your guitar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it would be hilarious to see Sego have that in their production, but. Oh, my gosh. Well, authenticity, I think, speaks a lot more volumes than production techniques. Exactly. I mean, granted, maybe not everybody has that, though. You know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe we don't all have it. You know, no. like you, we can't all be whatever we want to be. Some people have the X factor thing, and some don't. And that's all it is, man. You just it, have to have it. I think about that all the time. 
because I definitely know it when I see it in other people. And uh, but you like start weighing yourself against those people, and it's like, oh no. Yeah, I know. It's what a pain in the ass it is to just like <laughs> love what you do and try so hard and just not be actually great at it. You know, like. <laughs> Like study it, like think about it for decades, and then you just go and some twenty-year-old kid's like, "Yeah, I write songs," and he opens up his mouth, and you're like, "Well, goddamn it, He's really that's good. all you already know who you are." You're, you know, right? I, I'm figuring it out. <laughs> you found your voice. Yeah. What if someone said that to me a while ago? Like some people find their voice early, you know, like Julian Costablanca's, like, "Jeez Louise," like he just knew what he was doing with what he was doing. I wonder how much of that he was just like stumbling through. Mm-hmm. Just like he was in a, like a real velvet underground zone or something back then. And that's why he was just trying to do one of those records. And then his version of it was just the greatest thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like Nirvana. It's still his version, though. Like the way he does it, it's yeah. like it's him. And it undeniably sounds like him, which is big, you know, just sounding like your own thing. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's the nature of copying anything is you can't ever really copy it that well and so it becomes kind of part of you yeah like yeah maybe that's all we should be trying to do is find out how to do something so specifically that no one else can do it exactly like you right. is that the secret to success <laughs> just i don't know it's not technical skill that's not the secret the secret is not technical skill i learned that after chasing technical skill for a long time and then going and seeing Victor Wooten play at a, a Q&A at a high school in Pleasant Grove or whatever, <laughs> Utah. Getting my mind blown, for those that don't know Victor Wooten, he's maybe top two greatest technical bass players ever. He's yeah. just so insane. Um, and I was chasing, I played bass exclusively for a long time, both, uh, I guess, guitar, bass guitar, and string bass. But I, I saw Victor Wooten as maybe the next pinnacle to kind of uh, pursue or reach for. But then I kind of realized after that thing and looking up a bunch of his music, kind of don't love it. People that are too good at actual music don't write that good of music. Yeah, it's just <laughs> funny how that works. Like For the most part, obviously. You get your some... Mozarts and whatever, but for as... And I feel like maybe one of the great examples is... Uh, Franz Liszt, the uh, pianist from like 1800s. The best example of what? Uh, a, a insane virtuoso that could also write. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. Like he could. He was. He was basically a rock star of his era. Really tall guy, long hair. Women would faint when they saw him play and scream and all that stuff. But he also wrote insane songs. Like great, great masterpiece type level music but anyway but through the Victor Wooten rabbit hole I feel like Mm -hmm. I learned that there is uh, not an exact parallel between uh, expertise and good songs or or I guess good music and uh, and virtuosity aren't the same thing yeah they're otherwise we'd all be playing on those like bass sticks those eight-string bass sticks with whatever the heck. Well, I was <laughs> I was trying to make the argument to a friend the other night that he should stop 
<laughs> trying to get better because it's gonna it's gonna start infringing on his writing. I mean, that's something I firmly believe is like, but it's across the board. It's not like a if you get more experience in this way kind of a thing. But the more experience you have, the more you rely on your experience, and the less you rely on your instinct. Right. And like, it's a constant struggle to be like to to use your instinct over your experience because you don't even recognize it when you're swapping them out because it's a lot of times it's subconscious and it's almost a little fear-based too it's safer to rely on your experience and once you learn how to play enough songs you can just use your kind of like garbage bag of tricks that's inside of there rather than kind of trying to do what you would do without knowing those things right and like that's why you love something authentic because it's like they you're hearing their way of doing it that's that's truly their way. Some, well, I mean, nothing's truly anyone's way because you're, they're using logic or they're using Pro Tools in this drum sample or whatever, but essentially it's their way of doing it, which is what's so hard to do, is have it be good and instinct-driven rather right. than experience-driven. And yeah, you, you can kind of sniff it out. And that's why I feel like you see all these artists get into like their 40s and like their albums don't sound edgy anymore and like they don't really have a ton to say because they're like no i know how to i know how to write a song so i just keep writing more from my experience and from like kind of my youthful instinct i guess yeah and um there's also kind of the component of at least from an instrumental level there's the component of muscle memory versus uh your ear yeah you uh say if you know like a ton of scales or whatever on the guitar you know those patterns are going to come across more naturally as mm-hmm. you're if you're asked to play a riff or whatever yeah. on a song rather than listening intently and, and kind of trying to hear something first before you play I feel like you play before you do it that long t- for a long time that was actually my saving grace because I, I, I didn't really know many scales or whatever and so I would kind of just stab in the dark until I just discovered something. Mm-hmm. And by accident, it would stumble into things that I hadn't, both hadn't heard and couldn't do. So yeah. I felt like it was kind of <laughs> this bridge between, yeah, actually I feel like maybe more original because it wasn't based on anything that I actually knew before and you just kind of grabbed mm-hmm. it. So you can't even claim a, that it's your original thought. You just kind of snagged it from... Yeah, you're just, you're just panning for gold. Yeah. Um, but that was the way I did it for a long time with the Elizabethan Report. Soloing-wise? Writing riffs and guitar parts. Yeah. I didn't know. I'd never really been formally trained on how to play guitar, so I didn't really know much about the patterns and chords, positions, and things like that. And so and I was still learning music theory in general so Mm -hmm. there was a lot of just accidental stuff that was going on with that band yeah Aaron who has a really good handle on theory he was able to rein it in pretty well with the the bass the bass player in the band yeah yeah because he would he would pull it into a a harmonic uh, structure real quick despite my best efforts (laughs) (laughs) that's something I think about when like I'm not like a, I'm the type of lead guitar player that like, I rehearse the solo that I'm gonna do. Yeah. I don't like whip out some fresh, 
uh, idea on the spot. But when I'm in those situations, I try, I, I try not to just like play the blues skill. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm not. I mean, like I don't think of myself as like that great of a guitar player. Um, even though everyone else does, but um, <laughs> blue scale is the greatest, and, greatest and worst thing that ever happened to the guitar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everything sounds great. I guess for people who aren't musicians, it's just basically like boom, don't, 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 and like within that structure, you can, you can just stay in those notes in that frame, like on the guitar, and kind of like weasel your way through a lot of like songs if you're trying to solo. It's basically. If you've ever seen a, a little kid on a piano holding down the sustain pedal and just hitting every black key on the piano, and it <laughs> yeah. sounds awesome. It's just that's that's yeah. pentatonic, that's blues scale. It's not. It's it's cheating in terms of soloing versus like the like knowing what you're wanting to do as you do it. You yeah. know, like like as if I was. I always try to think of it as like if I jokingly sing what I think a solo would be a cool solo would be. Uh, I would want to just do that exactly on the guitar right. in the same fashion, you know. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, every once in a while with Derv, our bass player, I have to, I'll, I'll challenge her <laughs> to stay away from. She calls it the box. The box. The box, because it's like, you know, one three, one three, one three, mm-hmm. whatever. And because uh, she, her background with her old band is strictly 70s rock like zeppelin oh, okay and so she's just got blues scale on lock <laughs> at least in certain positions but when we're jamming i i'll, I'll kind of throw it out here, like stay away from that blues scale yes yeah. so you're gonna have to this is not a blues jam let's try let's try throw it around and in doing that i feel like we kind of stumble into some good stuff because She's reaching outside of that, into that weird, you know, there's this like mental void that happens when you're reaching past like what you know in your left hand. Are you saying that when you go beyond your comfort zone, you sometimes learn We're talking about progress. Growth. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember specifically this feeling of feeling stuck in a position Mm -hmm. with my left hand. Like I would be in whatever key and I knew the major scale that was next to the root note of that thing in my left hand mm-hmm. but if I were forced to move my hand up the the neck I just didn't know anything I didn't know the modes I didn't know what I was playing once I yeah. got out of that and it was so every time I would get up there I felt like I was like just completely in the dark stabbing at random stuff yeah but you just put out your sophomore album and I know you were kind of talking about it not being that exciting like the idea of all these people talking about putting out albums right which it's funny to hear that because like i'm in the midst of making <laughs> my first nona album and it's like I, I can totally relate to the idea of it just being relieving being done because exactly. it's just like a stressful headache constantly it's a lot of work well and it's also it's a it's a wide open field it's like you can do whatever you want you know uh so, yeah, it's just the decision-making is all that it really is. And it's the excitement, I guess, exciting to show people your, whatever you've been working on is there. But it's kind of like also, you don't know how it's going to be received. So it 
could be terrifying to put it out, you know, depending yeah. on how much you, how much credence you put in other people's opinion. I, you know, imagine the first time you took your shirt off at like a public pool. It's a little scary, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, for like, some of us, I feel like I look all right, but maybe the kids will. <laughs> Am I? Do I look bad? I love handles. When I was a, when I was a, a little like in grade school, I'd kind of like a little. I was a little doughboy a little bit. Not like, whatever. But I, I can relate. My older brother Robbie uh, made sure to remind me of that fact uh, at every turn that I needed to work out. <laughs> it's like you're fat, man. You need to just, you need to start working out. <laughs> just giving give me this complex. <laughs> I know. I, I when sixth grade came around, I was so pumped because they it was a chance to work out every day. I, in my mind, oh. I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose lose my my chubby because in PE because of PE. But they also like, it's also the most terrifying step because they, well, at least back then we were, we had to shower. That was part of it. You, oh yeah. At the end of the thing, you have to go in there and you have to freaking shower or the, like won't let you out of there, which is Jeez. terrifying. Yeah. I was already nervous about my body and then I had to freaking <laughs> get naked in front of people. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But yeah, I, I guess in in a nutshell releasing a record is as exciting as going into the sixth grade and maybe losing weight but also being completely Having naked, a shower in, front naked in front of your peers everyone yeah because at this point all your peers are other musicians making records exactly and making good records that's that are cool yeah so there's a bit of a comparative challenge there yeah it's it's so i feel like a while ago i was able to take my head out of the like competitive nature of it. Not saying that that's what you're saying, but just to like, you know, I remember talking to some people that are kind of like, you know, we get mad when their friend's band was like getting a good show. And it's like, you know, know that's, it's actually only good for you. Like your friends doing good things is everybody wins. It's uh, like, even in a selfish way, it's like, it's only good for everybody. Um, All ships rise in the tide. Um, But that's not true. (laughs) <laughs> that's not <laughs> necessarily true. Uh, I mean, for boats, but... For boats, it's, <laughs> it's true. It's true for boats. It's specifically true for boats. Yeah. Um, um, top off your tea? Yeah, please. Um, yeah, I... Um, I feel like the comparative thing, and we'll just feedback in general, being a, in, a, in a band or making art or make, putting anything out to any other people in general this is getting broad but cool but it is true that i found well i found it within myself that i have to live or die by the feedback um or just or just completely jettison it and not pay attention at all and be completely insular because Mm -hmm. um this record for instance is in the last you know, a few months since we started putting out... Uh, wow, you took that right down. Yeah, it's good tea. Um, since we put out the first few singles, it's actually been really amazing. And The response? Yeah. Well, the singles are incredible. Yeah, it's it's. we've been getting way more than I was really expecting. For those who don't know Sega, like the, those singles were all like, as, a, as your friend that was in the band. <laughs> I like... <laughs> like, I quit. I quit the band because of those singles basically (laughs) 
because I couldn't, uh, I can't be in a band where I I have nothing to offer because you're writing music that I just want to listen to and not be a part of necessarily. I but, appreciate uh, that. I mean, you, I don't appreciate that at the same time. Well, you got you got you got a great new bass player, so yeah, she's tight. Um, but yeah, so it's so it, there's part of me that's been very uh, it, well, just enjoyed it because it feels good to be showered with praise. Mm-hmm. But then when like the critics come out and start bashing you, it's easy to cast it off as like, oh well. Who is this troll anyway? Like they don't know anything about me or what I'm doing, or mm-hmm. they're probably just some guy, you know, some disgruntled guy. But then if I go that route, then I actually have to apply that same logic to all of the positive stuff. It's like, oh wait, who is this guy telling me I'm great? Just some freaking office guy that d- doesn't know anything about anything, but he's stoked about me. Like, do yeah. I? So but then I the music to, guy doesn't like me. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I. It's confusing because you know you use the feedback as kind of a metric towards like how to proceed, but that being said, how do I even take that into account? Uh, it's either I have to ignore it all or completely I, I think it's it's probably isn't cool of me to say out loud or in publicly on a podcast, but in I, a Chinese restaurant in a Chinese restaurant, but i I think for me. The uh, opinions of my musical peers, be it like friends or just other bands, but people who make music that I respect, their feedback weighs way heavier than any uh, critic or fan. Only because it's the only like barometer of reference that I can understand right. as someone who writes music and is a music fan. It's like, okay. And they speak your I, language. Yeah, we speak the same language. And there's, like, I extend a respect out to uh, people who are just making music. So it's coming from that too. Right. So maybe it's almost not fair because it's like, it's not objective. But it's like, I understand the context more through which they're viewing my music. And so that that's a lot more meaningful than someone who just sits behind a desk and decides if they're in a good mood or a bad mood and that's how they're going to critique the new thing for Billboard today or like do I need to tear this apart because it's too close to that because those guys aren't living with your music they're hearing it upon first listen second listen maybe in five listens and then they're tearing it up you know Mm -hmm. but art only exists in context like art doesn't exist without context at all so for someone like, like I feel like there should be a little thing below the each review of like how they listen to it and who they are and <laughs> what they like because the context shades everything. Right. Like if some guy like like loves Imagine Dragons, like he might not like Sega, you know, and vice versa. <laughs> so right. Like, and it's uh, important to know that. Yeah, and I don't know. So at least like the people that I hear who make music that I respect, then it's like okay, I know where you're coming from. So that means a lot to me because right. it's all incredibly subjective so i uh, i I think if it helps you just enjoy the nice (laughs) things because like yeah yeah you can just pick and choose what you want to like i did uh i did accidentally stumble onto a a report that i wasn't supposed to read that between my press agent and my manager oh goodness um because for good reason rob my manager uh shields me from kind of like that kind of feedback 
mm-hmm. where it's if we're submitting to whatever a label or a tour or whatever and someone came back and said no i hate this he'll probably just omit the i hate this thing yeah but yeah they're passing they on passed it. on yeah. it right because i don't the same thing it's like i don't need to hear that one two it's like you know it's not helping the, the situation it's a, it's a waste of energy to right. focus on and so <laughs> so so i'll hear about the successes through rob which is great um, but i found this email and it was some of like the feedback from a few of the 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 press outlets that um it was just an unfiltered one mm-hmm. and so i sifted through it and it was it was pretty funny some of the, there are a few in a row that said no like no thank you like love the track not into it or whatever not enough for our audience but there was one in particular who was got into it and he he uh or he or she um said something to the effect of like yeah i just don't know how i would uh put this out to my audience this sounds like a track that belongs in dawson's creek (laughs) (laughs) it's like whoa (laughs) oh okay all right i don't know one so that was a good example of like kind of what you're saying Uh, not maybe giving it too much credence because i don't even know what that means be honest I, I I, i've never seen dasta's creek oh, yeah i've never M- seen maybe creek. maybe the soundtrack was incredible so. <laughs> <laughs> i know and if if they're right then i i want to get on dawson's creek yeah wretch posthumously posthumously sync yeah dawson's creek opening sequence we're gonna swap these songs out <laughs> <laughs> the opening sequence but it seems like that seems like a show that would have like third eye blind maybe um probably maybe had a Death lot of Cap, relevant maybe. music for the time yeah, I was. I don't think Death Cab was big when that show was still on. Yeah, I can't even. I don't, I don't remember. I got. I got noticed um, at my favorite taco place up in La Cañada. Noticed? Yeah. Go on. Um. The waitress came out and she's like, "Oh, are you?" And kind of paused, like, like uh, I don't know. Who do you? Th- She's like, you're a musician, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Never mind. And then she walked away like, oh, I got, like, wink, wink, it's a secret between you and me. I was like, um, wait, what? <laughs> and then I turn around and there are a couple bus boys like, hiding behind the corner, like, peeking around, looking at us. And she came back and I asked, anyway, to truncate the story, she thinks that I'm a famous DJ, not who I actually am. Oh, and uh, <laughs> you got recognized as got somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> and every time I go back there, it's the same wink, wink service. She like hooks it up. Oh my god! And no matter who, did, who do they think you are, I don't know which one. I don't think I look like <laughs> any of them. <laughs> you don't know who they think you are. I don't. I don't dress well enough to look like a famous DJ, but they. Uh, Every time, the harder I try to explain that I'm not who she thinks I am, the, the deeper, the deeper she she's believes. like, oh, yeah. Oh, it, it's definitely. <laughs> sunglasses. He's That's hiding really out. funny. Well. So Sega's going real well. One of my favorite moments was after playing this show in Europe last summer with AWOL Nation and walking off stage and 30 minutes later, like, trying to get to the bus and someone being like, hey. Uh, you were in the opener, right? And I was what? like, 
It's like, no. And she's like, oh, would you know when AWOL Nation's coming out? And I was like, yeah, they'll probably come out in a little bit. <laughs> I, one of my biggest regrets, and I think we've talked about this before, is while you and I were in Amsterdam, um, walking oh, when around. I, when I bet you to jump into the river? Yeah, into that green slob. Slob? Slaw? Slough. <laughs> What's a slough? It's like slough is like a, a bog of water, right? I have no idea. There's a place on the way to Vancouver called D Slough. It's on the side of the, it's just a sign that says D Slough. Jesus. S L A U G H. But those little waterways. Whatever, in the canals in yeah, yeah. Amsterdam, they look horrible. And you, you didn't bet me, you, well, I guess you challenged me. You said, I'll give you 100 bucks if you jump in and swim across and get out the other side. And it was cold. It was cold. And cloudy. And we were we had to play a show directly after. Yeah. And so we would have had to I would have had to trounce my way across Amsterdam and wet. Yeah, we, we were we had to walk a while back yeah. to the venue. But I still think about that. It keeps me up at night. Man, I I totally backed down. I should have just freaking done that. Well, so this is what you said. You're like, We have a little bit we have like a few weeks left on this tour and like I could get, like, sick, you know? Like, it's kind of nasty in there. <laughs> and, like, like, there's a lot of variables here. Like, $100. I think I... Didn't I go up to $400? I don't know. Some Something shameful to, for me to turn down. But, like... I mean, it's not that much money, but... For me at the time, it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I make... Cra- me and Zach do crazy things. So, I'm like, I'll give you $1,000 if you fucking jump into this thing right now. And he never takes me up on it. And then there was one time where he offered me $2,000 to jump off this bridge into the water in Chicago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I started taking my jacket off. He's like, no, 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 don't do, don't, please don't do. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I tried to get him to shake on it. Like, you're going to give me $2,000. I, need, I, need I this am money. jumping in this fucking water. And kind of amped on it, too, because it was like a warm day. And he was like, whoa, whoa, okay, actually, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mess with me, man. I'm going to do it. I know. Like, there's there's the difference in the bet where it's like, I could use that money, so I'm going to do this. And then the ones that are just like, I missed out on a good story, you know? Yeah, there's also that where it's like, I know it's going to be a pain in the ass now, but I'm not going to die. Yeah. Now my only story is that I freaking boned out on like a a decent bet to jump into the canal in Amsterdam. Yeah. It's not a good story. I feel like, well, you learn those lessons when you're younger of like, man, I shouldn't have chickened up. And then that's why like only older people should do crazy stuff. <laughs> should be in crazy positions. Cause they've, yeah. and by older, I just mean in your thirties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't see like my stepdad taking a hundred bucks to jump into a canal in Amsterdam, but no. Yeah, I guess that's true. He'd give, a, he'd give me $100 to stop talking to him about it. For, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I guess there is that kind of doling effect as you grow older that uh, people just get com- more and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you'd think it would be the inverse where it's like, oh, I need more and more to stimulate me. Because <clears throat> I was going through this a few years ago where I felt like I, re- I was... Re- felt kind of this general numbing effect. because your tolerance to the stimulus all around you? Yeah, yeah. Just like, one, I, I'm, I've learned a X amount of things in my life. And so the, the amount of new stimuli was 
lower and lower. Whereas when you're a kid, like everything is like this new experience. Yeah. And a new event or a new piece of information that blows your mind. Whereas I, that was started kind of rounding off and I started feeling kind of, I wasn't depressed. It was just kind of numb. I just felt like I just don't. And so it required me to reach farther into the abyss to like reach a different, mm -hmm. that same level of excitement maybe. Um, and so the irony is you'd think people, the older they get, they would, the more extreme they would become in order to just have that same joy, joie de vivre, mm. you know? But, you would uh, think so. But people get real comfortable and just kind of like start cruising. Yeah, it's like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to drive. I'm not going to do road trips anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> like oh. I don't fly anymore. No, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. You start limiting what you do rather than expanding it. Yeah. But that's why people advocate for psychedelics. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Yeah. I'm reading the book right now, uh, How to Change Your Mind, and it's just about how like, psychedelics are actually better for older people hmm. because they essentially allow you to like, view, view things anew, you know? Like, all, like when you're on like, psilocybin. Yeah. That's mushroom? Yeah. You're essentially like in wonder of everything. Right. And you take that with you continuously. Like it's not like even when the, when the drug's effect is worn off, it's like you, remember. you still are like, man, you know, like just a tree is gorgeous, you know. And it's kind of like being a kid where like you're in wonder of everything. You're in awe of it all. Yeah. But as you get older, you build all these shortcuts, you know. Like you're constantly building more and more shortcuts in your brain so you can streamline how you work on other things so you don't notice all these like little things around you but when you're on mushrooms you notice everything right. <laughs> around you and it's like <laughs> and it's incredible and you know renews your hope and just little things you know yeah that's uh, that's from what i hear about it from those that aren't just partiers um it gives you a uh, kind of a like a unfiltered look at things like it removes like pretense maybe yeah and so even some oh, the people, walls come down and it's easy to be like oh i'm being a jerk or like oh i'm i'm really scared of doing that that's why i haven't done it like i didn't realize that you know when uh last summer when we had the uh the accident on tour right that was as close to that uh gulp of fresh air that i've had in a long time which was we were we were traveling through uh, New Mexico, and we got into an accident with an 18 wheeler. Can we get the check? Yeah, okay, yeah. Great time for me to interrupt. That was good. That was this solid. Is a real serious story, but no, we, anyway, we got into an accident with an 18 wheeler, and it was like a rollover situation. We went off the road, and the gentleman lost his arm, and it was like very scary. And somehow we ended up physically unharmed. Um, yeah, everyone was us. fine. Which is amazing. Yeah, in our car. But walking away from that, I mean, the day of especially, but like the remainder of that tour even, I had this refreshed view of uh, perspective on what I was doing and why. And uh, it kind of erased a lot of the petty tour kind of... kind of uh, beef you have with each other for yeah. stupid things. And it was it was actually kind of an important, you know, in a kind of backwards way, kind of an important lesson to be learned is what is actually important in my life, you know, and what and what's stressing me out and why, and maybe I should take 
other things more seriously that are more important. But sometimes you need to be shaken pretty hard. Yeah, and but I don't know. Maybe maybe this psilocybin is kind of a uh, shortcut into that state of mind where you're able to access that perspective without almost dying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Perspective's good to have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, surprisingly, I thought it would, might like make me scared to get in the van again. Yeah, yeah, give me that PTSD thing. And everyone reacts differently to things, but mm. it kind of uh it kind of just reminded me of how lucky I am to kind of get to do what I'm doing. Yes. Yeah. Travel the country with some of my best friends and play music. I mean, it's it's it not is luxurious, the coolest but it's job. Amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> when especially when especially when I'm looking at it next like side by side with the potential of like the dude that had his arm torn off in this accident. Yeah. Or me almost just dying. Had we either gone 10 feet farther down this like cliff thing mm -hmm. or hit, hit a different rock or gone off at a different angle, you know, it's like anything could mm -hmm. happen. It's like, if I would have just died right there, then it's like, well, great. Then that's like a pretty cool way to go, I guess. Like also you don't have music. to worry about like insurance or social security anymore <laughs> <laughs> like will i have money when i'm older it's yeah. like no i'm dead no i'm freaking dead but it's like it's it reminds you though like i could have been slaving away at some horrible job that i didn't like at all and just yeah. died the same way in a car accident totally and it would have been over and that's that so it's, at least i'm trying to do Thank something you. interesting you know that was kind of what my takeaway was yeah ultimately which well, it, uh, I mean, you I guys have a lot of touring coming up really soon. We do. We have a lot. We're going to be gone all summer, pretty much. And headlining this whole run. This is right? our first headlining tour, which is kind Hell of Hell yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Um, What do we got here? $14. 14 biggins? Um, yeah, we're... Yeah, it's your first full headlining tour. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty That's pretty awesome. And you have, like, random, like, kind of local support throughout the whole thing? Yeah. I got a 20. I got seven. Wait a minute. I got eight. Sure. There we go. I'm just going to leave that whole thing for the guy. You crazy? Are you out of your mind? It's a $5 tip. Whatever. We've been sitting here That's on the microphones <laughs> in, in the restaurant. Dang, dude. You don't have to tip $10 just for your podcast, you know? Yeah, but dude... Yeah, really, I'm not tipping. I'm just saying it on the <laughs> Well, this has been a pretty uh, weird episode because hopefully it doesn't sound like garbage in here. But Yeah, no, I feel like... Uh, and maybe I'll find out the name of this place and I can talk about it in the intro. Uh, it's got to be on the menu. I'll show Phoenix. Um, Phoenix Restaurant. Established 1965. Phoenix. It's 1965? Jesus place has been here 50 years 301 ord street los angeles yeah all right phoenix that's the name of the restaurant uh yeah dude thanks for taking me here yeah man i mean you're welcome for me you know inviting thanks for featuring me yeah for featuring you uh inviting me yeah but uh unfortunately i gotta go i gotta get to a, a thing working musician right here working guy you gotta get to rehearsal gotta get to a rehearsal i think I i'm gonna be late all right. But it's been an absolute privilege and an honor. Thanks for having me, dude. Uh, of course, man. All right. Bye. Bye.